listening to the Seven Rivers Student Ministry Podcast, a ministry of Seven Rivers Church in Citrus County, Florida. Here at SRSM, we believe that all students are lovable through a relationship with Jesus. Visit our website at sevenrivers.org backslash students. Father, uh, you are good and we're not. Um, You are gracious and we are quick to anger. Um, We're quick quick to be bitter, to um, belittle people. Um, We're just so broken and we need to pray that you'd be with us during this time, that you will uh, just move us by your spirit and by your word. Um, Be with me. Calm my nerves, um, calm my insecurities, and just uh, be, yeah, let me be an instrument for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, uh, so today we're going to be talking um, about an industry where people are brought, or yeah, people are bought, sorry, bought, and sold into sexual um, exploitation where we use other people to meet our needs, um, where we profit uh, money from using other people as objects, where we dehumanize people, where we uh, manipulate, where we coerce, and people are trapped. Um, And if this sounds like a little bit harsh or a little bit like the US uh, slave trade in the 18th and 19th century, I'm glad you're like thinking about that because it's not that it's actually the pornography industry and that is what it is it's an industry looking for profits looking to manipulate you um consumers me and you and to trap and abuse its workers it is an evil horrendous thing and i compare it to slavery because it actually does enslave you enslave me this is a multi-billion dollar industry that gets more traffic in a month. So like more people go to pornography sites in a month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. It is a near $90 billion industry throughout the world. And it is accepted. It's celebrated. It's joked about. And it's seen as everyday life just like slavery once was. That might be a lot, man. I hope you feel the weight. Um, I'm really passionate about this topic because it's my story. Um, A few weeks ago for worship night, I shared about just some sin in my life that brought me to the Lord uh, when I was 13. And one of those sins was pornography. Um, 
when I was 13, two social media sites followed me um, on social media that I had at the age of 13, which is crazy young. And they were full of sexually explicit images. And at first I was pretty shocked, knew it was bad, um, so I blocked them. But uh, a few days later, curiosity, excitement, something I knew it was bad, um, got the better of me. And before I knew it, I was just out on, on a rabbit hole, just every day for months as a 13-year-old. I was being sought out by an evil, and I took it, and I loved it. And then about eight months later, uh, into going into my freshman year of high school, um, I found myself being so consumed, so trapped, that I just couldn't get out of it. I couldn't break free from it. Um, and it made me ashamed, uh, made me just hopeless, made me think that I was going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, it made me scared and I just had nowhere else to turn. So in my story, I shared a few weeks ago, I, uh, said how like my sin brought me to my knees and like made me weep and just made me like run to God because I knew I couldn't save myself. And that's what I did. Um, about halfway through my freshman year, I became a Christian. But then um, the addiction, the pornography struggle still continued on up through college. Uh, it wasn't really until junior year where, I think sophomore, junior year, where I really started to open up more about it, um, tell other people about it. And to my surprise, like so many other of my brothers and sisters in Jesus um, struggled the same thing. And they felt the same feelings felt trapped, felt isolated, alone. And if that is you tonight, I hope this um, talk is just helpful and encouraging to you that you don't have to be alone um, because pornography can just shame you to isolation. And yeah, it's really dark. It's really hard. Um, there are so many times when I was just sad and hopeless about the sin, about my addiction, and I was so ashamed. Um, but I want to start out tonight by saying porno watching pornography is sinful. Pornography in, its, in and of itself is, simple, is sinful. And this is uh, controversial today. We're in um, a pornified world. Porn is all around us. Jokes, media, social media, computers, phones, magazines, advertisements, just everywhere. Um, pornography is joked about, acted like a no big deal, fantasized, um, and it's celebrated. But if you say that it's wrong, more often than not, we're like coming to a point in our culture to where we're the ones, if you say it's wrong, you're the one that's like, oh, you're kind of out of touch, or you're kind of prude, prudish or dumb, or you're actually shaming others that are performing the acts or that are watching it, you're actually hurting them by saying that it's wrong, what, we're to, um, what they're doing, whether they're watching it or uh, participating in it. And that in and of itself is hard. Um, it's hard to admit that we're sinners, but I want to uh, go to Matthew 5, where Jesus gives his Sermon on the Mount, um, his very first sermon. And he says in Matthew 5, 
verses 27 through 30. He says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, that's pretty intense by Jesus. Um, But I think he's pointing that sin is a big deal. We laugh about it, we joke about it, we minimize it um, in a lot of ways because we don't want to admit how messed up we actually are. I don't want to admit it. But it is a big deal. So it's not only wrong in this passage to commit the actual adultery, but it's actual, it's even just as sinful to be thinking about it, to be fantasizing about it. And we kind of think of this as looking lustfully. And what pornography does is it takes out the middleman. And so you don't have to just imagine by yourself lustful thoughts. You, pornography says, here, I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to uh, make it so much easier for you and to where you can just dive down and go into your darkest fantasies. And that's uh, it's like assisted lust. It's like whenever, growing up, um, my dad, he would, uh, when I was learning how to ride a bike, he would like hold on to the back and like, I'll be pedaling and he's hold on making sure. Pornography is like assisted lust. It's like the training wheels on your bike, making sure that you can consume it, you can have it, you can think lustfully whenever. And so, yeah, pornography is lustful and it is sinful. And once it enters into us, once sin enters in, once we start engaging in it, it becomes addictive. And this was my whole life story after I became a Christian. It was addiction. It was running back to what I knew was familiar, um, succumbing to sin, and it was destructive. Um, So pornography is actually sinful, even though that's a controversial statement today. And second, I want to talk about how pornography is not just sinful, but in uh, Romans 6, 23, it says, For uh, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the wages, what you're owed for your sin, what your payment is, that's what a wage is, what you're owed, what your, what your payment will be is death. And if pornography is sinful, then it will only produce death. While uh, preparing for this talk, I was reading an article and this guy talks about pornography as death, and he talks about it as a de-peopling activity. What do I, it's like a de-peopling. What do I mean by that? And it actually means that, um, like if pornography is sinful, and the only thing that it'll bring is death, is that whenever we look at it, we actually reduce the person that we're looking at, or the person that we're imagining, and we want them to be less than human. We de-people them. We objectify them, and we want them to just be an object for our pleasure. It's a de-peopling process, pornography and lust. And, um, yeah, it degrades people, often women. Um, 
It uses them as objects. We might think it's harmful, but, or we might think it's harmless, but it's really harmful to us and to how we view others. And that's kind of my second point in this, that we de-people others, but pornography actually dehumanizes us. It dehumanizes and degrades ourselves. It limits you. It limits your body. It reduces you to less than the created image of God that you are. I think this is one of the biggest schemes that the devil uses um, is trying to not only cause you to sin, but actually to reduce who you think you are. Because he doesn't want you to think that you are the beloved child of God. He doesn't want you to think that you are inherently valuable and worthy to be loved. It makes you less than human. It objectifies you and strips you of your humanity. To think of ourselves so little that we must just be a big sexual organ whose only purpose is to have pleasure. That is what Satan wants. In some ways, that's what the culture says that we are, which is pleasure-seeking people. Whether that's through pornography, through a thrill of a roller coaster, through whatever. We're just always seeking pleasure, and that's our only goal in life. And I think this is why sometimes we literally joke with animal, with animal metaphors. So we're de-peopling others, we're de-peopling ourselves, reducing everyone around us to less than human. And we make uh, jokes about, oh, he's got that dog in him. Or, I don't know, just think of, like I've heard it, I've participated in it, I've said the jokes. Um, Like we're just laughing and making fun of ourselves and others of how we have traded our humanity to act like less than. This is why pornography is death. This is why it's even traumatic. Um, It's like trauma going throughout this past week, thinking about what I'm writing. I read uh, two books and one was um, by a counselor and it was just all about diving into your story and how your family, your social location, everything that makes you, you like affected your, um, like why you went to pornography, why you, would always go back to unwanted sexual behavior. And it was just like this past week was just day after day, just me reflecting on, man, I went back because I just was so ashamed, but I loved it. Or because this happened in my, like it was just really um, bringing about a lot of trauma that I've had in my life and that pornography has caused. Okay, so pornography is actually sinful. Pornography is death because it's sinful. And I want to finish kind of my last point um, about guilt and shame. Bless you. Um, So the last three weeks we've talked about uh, body image, sexuality, and mental health. And I think in a lot of ways, all those topics, um, all those topics kind of cover You know, there's shame and guilt inherently in all of them. Like, we talked about it the past few weeks. And I want to talk about it because it's especially prevalent 
in pornography in my story. Um, and I want to say this, that guilt and shame, um, guilt and shame need you. Um, guilt and shame need you. Without broken people, without humans, without you, shame and guilt wouldn't exist. I want you to think of Adam and Eve before the fall. They were naked and they were unashamed. They were reaping the benefits of God's goodness, of his good creation, of human flourishing. And there was no guilt and no shame. But after they sinned, they immediately covered up themselves and hid. They were immediately guilty before God, and they immediately felt shame. And guilt and shame, because they need you, they need your brokenness. They feed off of your sin. And they do this in a way that is enslaving and that makes your worth tied to your mistakes and to your failings and to your brokenness. Guilt and shame need you and your brokenness to enslave you. They need you to feel worthless. They need you to always run back to them. A lot of times when I would run back to pornography or masturbating or whatever have you, um, I would do that because I just was disappointed. I got yelled at. I felt unloved by a parent or a friend. And I wanted to feel love again. I wanted to feel wanted. And I thought every time that I would, that just one time pornography would accomplish that. But it only accomplished more shame and more guilt and more isolation. And it only brought me deeper down into the abyss of um, evil thoughts, evil desires. Um, So that's what guilt and shame do. They need you. They need you to exist because without your brokenness, they wouldn't be here. We would be flourishing like Adam and Eve once were. But I want to tell you, and if you don't hear anything tonight, hear this. That if you are in Christ, and what Christ offers you is that although guilt and shame need you, that you don't need them. Because your guilt, your shame, your sin, your ugliness, your brokenness, all your evil thoughts, all your dark fantasies, all the times you've looked at porn and masturbated to, all the times that you've thought, of, thought lustfully of classmates, of other people, every single sin has been nailed to the cross, has been taken upon Jesus. It was put on Jesus. Jesus became sin who knew no sin. And it was also consumed. The wrath of God was consumed by Jesus. And because of that, you stand before God you are in Christ, blameless and innocent, you're not guilty anymore. Guilt has nothing over you. And because Jesus drank the wrath of God and Jesus bore the shame standing naked on a cross, being spit on, being beaten, being broken, literally by people, people hurling insults, hanging on a cross naked, he took the shame that Adam and Eve felt that you feel every time you go back to that sin, every time you go back to that isolation, every time you go back to the thing that you know is going to bring you shame, but you just want to feel love. Jesus took that for you. He felt that shame that you felt. 
So we can run to God. We can run to Jesus. We can run to his people, his church, without the fear that we're just going to be turned away again. That our shame and that our guilt are going to win again. In uh, Romans 5, um, verse 5, says that hope does not put us to shame because of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. The hope that we have in God, the hope that we have in Christ and what he's done, will not put us to shame. So you can heal. You can thrive. You can flourish as you were meant to be. You can live a good life. Um, you can live a happy life. A lot of, like shame and guilt don't bring happiness. They don't bring flourishing. They don't bring, like they bring isolation. They bring depression. They bring you, uh, your self-esteem down. And Jesus doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to feel that. He took it upon himself to make sure that you don't feel that. And I don't think, uh, I don't think God just wants to forgive you of your sins. Obviously he does. He does do that. Praise God, because we wouldn't be able to be near him. But he doesn't just want you, or he doesn't just want to forgive your sins and then say, all right, on to the next one. I'm done with you. You're, everything's good. I'll see you later. No, um, in the Bible, we're giving a host of metaphors for salvation. One of the main ones is from slavery to freedom. So in Exodus, um, the people of God were enslaved for 400 years, and God delivers them and frees them so that they can live for him. In every kind of Bible um, passage that talks about salvation, there's so many. Old to new, old creation to new creation, um, slave to free, everything, every kind of uh, metaphor that's used. It's meant to draw you not only to forgiveness, but also to live in a new reality that Jesus Christ actually died for you. That he actually bled for you, that he actually was broken, his body was broken for you. And he wants you to live in this without the chains of shame and guilt. Because before him, right now, if you're in Christ, before him, I, despite all the lust that I have, despite all of the brokenness that I can only bring to him, despite all of my sin and the shame and just rottenness, God looks at me and he says, you're my beloved son. He looks at you despite how shameful and guilty you are. He says, you are my son. And I want you, and I um, want to end with this story from the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, so there's this kid, Eustace. He is a brat. He's like prince, really arrogant, really, you know, everything's about himself. And he goes to this castle and he starts stealing a bunch of gold and he's loving life. He's like, heck yeah, I'm going to be rich. And then he um, goes to sleep and he becomes a dragon. And he's like, what the heck? Like, he's not a kid anymore. He's not a boy. He's a dragon. And he hates it. And he's so ashamed. And he hides. And then a character comes along named Aslan. And Aslan, I'm going to read a quote. Because it's just, it's crazy. Um, Eustace describes meeting Aslan and Aslan healing him as this. He said, the very first tear with, the claw, with his claws that he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began peeling the skin off, the dragon skin, that is, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it 
was the pleasure of feeling the stuff peeled off. You know, like a scab of a sore place. It hurts like Billy-O, but it is such fun to see it coming away. I think that is what healing looks like. It's not painless. It's not, you know, oh, now I can live like nothing bad ever happened. No, it's actually the opposite. It's actually feeling the pain of your story, feeling the brokenness, um, and not running away from it. Knowing that God already paid for it and he wants to heal you. He wants to re-people you. Eustace um, needed to be a boy again. He needed to be recreated. He needed to be back to what the original design was. And this is what we hope for. This is what God says he's going to do. This is what God says he's doing right now. And the journey is hard. Um, it'll sting. One of the, I told my uh, now fiance a few months ago, friend made a sexual joke and I was like laughing about it. And she was like, why are you laughing about it? Like, it's like not good. And I just remembered like realizing like, man, this is this sin that I committed for a long time that I was addicted to. It's something that I'm going to have to probably heal from for the rest of my life um, in a lot of ways. And probably something that's going to be there for me. And I just remember telling her that, telling this woman that I love, that I want to marry, that I am going to marry. And I was just like, oh, just so, so ashamed that um, I would put her through that, that uh, she would have to love someone as worthless as me, as broken as me. But for some reason she does. And I, I love it. But, um, yeah, this is healing. Healing is not easy. It takes a claw to be placed right onto your heart and to start ripping away at the brokenness. But God will lead you by the hand. He will not let you go. He wants to help you. He wants to heal you. So will you let him? Let's pray.